It's so good to see all of you here this evening and, and of course all of you watching from home very very much you're welcome that or we're very glad that you're watching and, and you're with us in that fashion. To understand the institution of the Eucharist, we have to understand the Passover. It has to be burned into our brains what happened at that night of the Passover. We have to be able to say, oh yeah, I remember, I saw the movie or movies or whatever it is. I remember as a kid, we, my mother would always have us watch um, Cecil B. DeMille's uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, Father Frank and I were talking about that in the back. He was there. Um, <laughs> not, not for the Ten Commandments, but for the movie, probably. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, so looking back on that, we can remember, some of you have seen a more modern rendition of the events, but we remember, right? So the Jews are... Um, they're captive in Egypt, and they've been turned into slaves, right? We, we, know, we remember that part. And then Moses is sent by God, right? Moses meets God in the burning bush. He's sent by God to free God's people from the hands of the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. And so Moses goes, and then, right, there's the, the 10 different plagues that are sent, and none of them persuade Pharaoh to let God's people go. And then Moses says, okay, well, here's the last one. Every firstborn male in the land is going to die this night. And then he, of course, tells his people, tells the people, look, to allow the angel of God to pass over your house and not kill the firstborn male, both man and beast alike, to allow that to happen, this is what you've got, and we heard it so wonderfully proclaimed in the first reading tonight, um, this is what you need to do. You need to take an unblemished lamb, kill it, put its blood on your doorpost. And by the blood of that lamb, the angel of the Lord will pass over you and your firstborn, the firstborn males in the home will be saved. And not only that, but because of this final plague, the, the people of God will be set free. This will be the final thing that finally allows Pharaoh, although he does change his mind, but allows Pharaoh to finally say, okay, I have to let them go. I have to get rid of them. Look at what's happening. But it's, you know, one household or many households could gather together and they would share in the Passover meal, right? The blood on the doorpost and they were to consume the lamb by the blood of the lamb and the consumption of the lamb, you will be saved. And of course they were. They were freed from Egypt and they were saved. We have to remember at least just the essentials of the story. Because then God told his people, do this for the next, I don't know, 2,500 years, whatever it was. Do this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Every year, celebrate the Passover. Hundreds and hundreds of years. You'll do it over and over and over and over and over until it becomes part of your consciousness. But there was more to the story, right? There's more to the story of salvation. Namely, they, the Jews, the people of God, were awaiting the Messiah. And the Messiah would bring to fruition and you know, all that God had said before him, but also definitively bring about salvation for his people. The people didn't quite understand what this meant, but they were awaiting him. And then he came, 
Jesus came and he told his people, told his disciples, his apostles, um, John chapter six, we remember him telling them quite vehemently, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they had no clue what he was talking about. Most of them thought he was crazy and they left except for the 12. Everyone else deserted him. But the Lord did not back down. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. The disciples remained, and basically their response was, we don't really understand this, but we believe you. And if you say that can happen, then we trust you. And then the night of the Passover comes, and they're celebrating the Passover, and Jesus, remember, they've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, so there's a certain ritual involved of doing it the same way. But now Jesus does something different. And he says, take the bread, take this and eat it. It's my body, take the wine, it's my blood. Jesus is declaring himself the Passover lamb, the lamb whose blood will be shed and who must be consumed so that we might be saved. And then for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after, the Catholic Church has done just this, not just the Catholic Church, but the, the Eastern Rite Catholics, right, the Byzantine Church, etc. The East and, and West, uh, Eastern and Western Catholics have all celebrated the Eucharist, believing from the beginning that it was the body and blood of Jesus. From the beginning, we have writings, not just from the second reading we heard today from Paul, who clearly enunciates what the Lord Jesus has taught him about celebrating essentially mass, but we have other writings not in the scriptures that talk about what the Christians did. And right from the beginning, this is no development. This is no uh, thing that was uh, created hundreds of years after the fact. Right away, the Catholics who followed Jesus, believed in what he said. And they believed that when they consumed the Eucharist, they were consuming the Passover lamb, the definitive Passover lamb, who will not just save them from temporal slavery, but who has saved them definitively for eternity. And of course, as we know, the, the Lord Jesus chose the 12 and he chose them to be particularly stewards of these mysteries, like the Eucharist, like anointing of the sick and, and baptism and all of the sacraments. He chose them specifically to have this kind of authority because he wanted the whole thing to stay together. You can't really keep something together if there's no structure. And just like there were priests appointed in the Old Testament, because the priesthood goes all the way back through the Old Testament, so too there will be priests of the new covenant, the apostles and those to whom they hand on their authority, all the way down to priests this day. And the last point is to remember what the Eucharist is for. I mean, no doubt initially it's for you know, our individual good to receive the sacrament, to receive that grace, absolutely. But to receive the sacrament and merely sort of keep it as an interior thing, to, if you will, hoard the blessedness of the Eucharist, 
so, such that the Eucharist is not something that emanates from us, right? Or the effects of the Eucharist, the effects of that grace should lead us to service. And that's why it's, it's kind of interesting with the, with the uh, Holy Thursday liturgy, the gospel is actually at the end of the meal where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and calls them to serve just as he has served them. So that the Eucharist is not meant just for my own edification individually, but it's something that should lead me to serve those around me. And that is, of course, not just the ministerial priesthood that I share in, but the priesthood we all share in as we allow this grace to live within us and allow it to emanate forth, such that the practice of our faith, if it's something merely interior and merely just left to myself, is really kind of a dead faith. A faith that's alive is a faith that can be seen through action, through good, through truly loving one another. Please stand.